you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. For our sermon today, we're primarily going to be looking at verse 18, but I'm going to read from verse 13 through verse 20 for context. Hear now the word of God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May its truth be ever written on our hearts. Let us pray. O oh Lord God, we come before you, thankful that you have spoken perfectly in your word. We pray may your spirit enlighten it to us this night, that we may see Christ and find ourselves in him. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in the year 2020, one of the most popular worship songs was Promises by Maverick City Music. The first verse goes something like this. God of Abraham, you are the God of covenant and faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you'll do just what you said. You see, the Christian faith proclaims that God is a God of promises. That he is faithful to his word. For it is written, God fulfilled every one of his promises to Israel. Joshua 21, 45. Ezekiel 12, 28 says, Whatever I say will be fulfilled, says the Sovereign Lord. In 2 Peter 3.9, says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, we as Christians worship a God of promises. And in this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ himself makes a promise to his church, to churches like us. And since the Lord is faithful to his promises, his word shall not come back empty. And so because of this promise, we can all have confidence that God is still at work here. Because of this promise that the Lord Jesus made, we can have, pro we can have confidence that the Lord is still at work here at Baxter Congregational Church. So I want to draw our attention to the promise we find in verse 18. It reads like this. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a beautiful promise we have here. The Lord Jesus promises to build up his church. 
And he says, not even hell will have the power to defeat the church. And that is exactly what God is doing here. What God is doing at Baxter Congregation. God is building his church. This is the first place the Bible refers to the church proper. The Lord Jesus establishes the church in this verse. He establishes his church. Look at what it says. It says, I will build my church. The church, rightly understood, is a possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should put everything into perspective for us around here. Because it means this church does not belong to us. It doesn't belong to you and it doesn't belong to me. This is not the church of Ben Sparrow or the church of Nancy or Karen or Gray. This is the church of Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. And so he gets to set the rules. He gets to set the tone. He gets to tell us what to do and what not to do. He gets to tell us how we are to do things and how we're not to do things. This church is meant to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship Jesus, to know Jesus, and to make Jesus known. In this verse, Jesus establishes two basic principles for his church. He establishes the foundation and the promise. The foundation and the promise. So we're going to explore those two points, the foundation and the promise. We're going to explore those together tonight. First, the Lord Jesus gives us the foundation of his church. He says in this verse, on this rock, I build my church. Which is saying there's a particular rock, a certain foundation we must be built upon. So what is Jesus referring to? Well, we see here that Jesus is responding to Peter. And two verses earlier, Peter answers Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers this in verse 16 by saying, quote, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus says to Simon Peter that flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So when we see this in verse 18, we can assume it's the same this that is referred to in verse 17, the confession that Peter made in verse 16. So the foundation of the church is this confession, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Fundamentally, this is saying that the foundation of every true church, the foundation of every Christian church, is the confession that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. If you remember back to April, this might actually sound fairly familiar to you if you were here. When we started Mark, we said that the first verse in Mark is the thesis statement. And in Mark 1.1, he says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we said that that's what the entire book of Mark is about. He's trying to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So when we looked at that verse a few months ago, we said that when we say Jesus is the Christ, we are really saying that Jesus is King. When we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we're really saying that Jesus is, in fact, himself God. Jesus is God. This is the foundation of every church and what every church is to be built upon. 
that Jesus is king and that Jesus is God. And so this foundation gives us two basic priorities for the life of the church. Two things we should be aiming for in everything we do. Two things that make the foundation of every decision we make, every worship service we have, every event we put on. First, if Jesus is the Christ, if he is the king who saves us, then as king, he has the right to rule and to reign, to establish laws and to tell us what to do and what not to do. You see, Jesus has the right to give orders and to set priorities through his word. If Jesus is the king of the church, then the church must submit to him. That is why our bylaws actually say in Article 3, Section 1, quote, the church, this church, acknowledges Jesus Christ as its head and finds the holy scriptures interpreted by the divine spirit through reason, faith, and conscience its guidance in matters of faith and discipline, end quote. You see, this church claims in our official documents that Christ is our head, that Christ has the ultimate authority to tell us as a church what to do and what not to do, to guide us and to tell us how to discipline and how to control and live out and have our faith. So ultimately, our church, along with every other true Christian church, believes that Jesus is king and sets Jesus as the ultimate authority on what they are to do. The second priority we see here is that if Jesus is the Son of God, then he is God. And if he is God, we are to worship him as God. The purpose of a church, of a local church, is to worship Jesus to praise him, to extol his name, and to make his name known amongst the nations, both here in Baxter and abroad. The purpose of a church is to worship Jesus. So the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ the Lord. And if Jesus is really our foundation, then our priorities are to worship him and to submit to his rule and reign. That's it. That's literally what it means to be a church, to be a gathering of people who worship God and submit to his rule and reign. A church built on anything else other than the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is no church at all. The garden club is not a church. The chamber gathers, but they are not a church. Your card club is not a church, and a book club is not a church. But sadly, so many churches today just really seem like religious book clubs. They gather together every week, and they talk about what they think about God. They talk about things they've read and the ideas they have. They talk about religious ideas. And maybe they might even talk about the Bible. But do they worship the Son of the living God? Do they submit to the resurrected Christ? Because that is the foundation on which Jesus will build his church. You see, if a church does not have this foundation, why would Jesus want them built up? Maybe it's fair to say the reason why there's so many shrinking churches and dying churches in America today is because so many churches are not worshiping Jesus and submitting to Jesus as their number one priority. 
But you know who does want churches to shrink? Who does want churches to die? Satan. The powers of hell, the powers of death, want the church to disappear because if they can show that churches are shrinking, that churches are dying, it makes the gospel seem less plausible. It makes Jesus seem like an unworthy model to follow. It makes the truth of resurrection seem meaningless. Because if God can raise Jesus from the grave, why is he not able to build his church? But a strong, healthy church will be built on worshiping Jesus and submitting to his word. So when we say Christ is our head, it's not merely a nicety that happens to be in our bylaws. It's a foundational principle for everything we do. It should guide every decision we should make. When we set Jesus as our foundation and say he is our head, then we are saying that he has the final authority. And this kind of works in two different ways. Well, one way in particular. The way the old Presbyterians, the old school congregationalists talked about the church, church meetings specifically, when we take votes and stuff like that, is it's talked about like a court. This is because we vote to make decisions. And the way a local church is supposed to do that is a lot like the Supreme Court of the U.S., it's not the same, but it's similar. You see, the Supreme Court, if they do their job correctly, they're not, they have no authority to make laws. They're not allowed to establish a new law. What happens is if a case comes before them, if there's something that needs to be decided, they have to look at the Constitution and say, what does the Constitution say, and how do we best align with the Constitution? In the same way, a local church is supposed to turn to God's word. But unlike the Constitution, God's word is infallible and inerrant. So we come at it with God's authoritative statement to the church, and like the Supreme Court, we're to judge the matters and the decisions of what the church is to do and how people are to be disciplined and live in accordance with the word of God. So that then we make decisions as a church according to the word. And this is ultimately how we submit to Christ as our king. He's the one that has established our set of laws, the scriptures. And we, as Christians, live that out through the context of a local church. Where the spirit works in us to decide how that works in our lives and in our context. But on the other side, we're not just supposed to be a church that has laws of Jesus that we submit to. We're ultimately supposed to do those things to bring worship to Jesus. It's ultimately to come back to worshiping Jesus. Mark Dever says that worship is a total life orientation of engaging with God on the terms that he proposes and the way that he provides. Which means worship is anything we do that submits to God's word in order to bring glory to him, to bring praise to him. So when we pray like Jesus teaches, it's worship. When we sing like Jesus did, it's worship. When we serve our neighbors like Jesus commands, it's worship. When we organize our homes, or take care of our grandchildren, or host dinners in a way that Jesus would have us do, it's worship. Whenever we 
speak the word, proclaim the word, proclaim the gospel, and make Jesus known, it's worship. Worship is a whole life of service unto Christ. So as a church, everything we do, every event we put on, every dinner we have, every Bible study we host, everything, ultimately is meant to bring worship to Jesus. And when this is our foundation, we can be guaranteed that God will keep his promise to us. And in this verse, the Lord Jesus makes two promises to the church. He's, to churches truly built on this foundation, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, if we are built on this foundation, then we can be assured that these promises are to us too. If Jesus made a promise to these churches, and if we are one of them, and if Jesus is God who is faithful to his promises, we can be guaranteed that he will work these promises here at Baxter Congregation. So the first promise we see is that Jesus will build his church. He says it. He says, I will build my church. So the life of a church is built by Jesus. This means we can't build the church. It's not about us. It's not about what we can't accomplish. It's about Jesus. Jesus can build his church. Jesus can make us grow. And Jesus promises to do it. And this should actually give us confidence. Because it means we're not expected to come up with the perfect solution to kind of fix the problems here. The church doesn't need to find the right curriculum or the right music to sing or whatever. It's not about having a good Sunday school program or a great preacher, as nice as those things are. It's about Jesus making it happen. There is no pastor who can come in and fix the problems of any church. There's no event that will magically fill the pews. No change we can make that will guarantee that we grow. It's up to Jesus. Jesus will build his church. And Jesus promises to do it. Jesus says he will build his church. And it's happening now, today, right here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ Happened, and the resurrected Christ is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And at this very moment, he is orchestrating history, so his church will be built up. And so if we want to grow, we need to trust in the Lord Jesus, knowing that he will keep his promises to us. And we need to worship him and to submit to his will. And if we do that, this verse is a guarantee that the Lord will build his church. But there is a second promise here. And this should actually stick out to churches like ours. Smaller churches that through the years have shrunk a little bit, seem not quite as loud, as busy as they used to be. Churches that some might even call dying churches. Jesus makes a promise to dying churches. He says... The gates of hell shall not prevail against me. When you first hear this verse, it may sound a bit like a hellfire brimstone sermon, but like positive? Jesus isn't saying like you're going to hell. He's saying hell cannot defeat the church. And that's beautiful because we know the church is going to win. But when we consider what this is actually saying, the word hell in the original Greek is the word Hades. 
It's what we would generally think of as the domain of the dead. Same thing we use in the Apostles' Creed when we say that Jesus descended to hell. Jesus descended to the dead. Hades is the realm of the dead. And so in essence, this is saying the powers of death will not overcome the church. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying if he builds his church, it will not die. Jesus is saying there's no such thing as a dying church. And that makes sense. The Bible teaches that God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Matthew 22, 33. Genesis shows us that our God is a God of creation. And Jesus proves that God is a God of resurrection. You see, Jesus is God. And Jesus rose from the grave, conquering the powers of sin and death. The powers of hell have no authority anymore because Jesus defeated them. In Jesus, death has lost its sting. Because in Jesus, we have hope in a resurrection. And so the church, the body of Christ on earth, is a body of resurrection, a body of new life. In Jesus, his church cannot die. His church cannot fail. In Jesus... There is a promise and a guarantee that his church will prevail, that his church will last. But let's be honest. The Bible makes very clear that there will be suffering and sacrifices in this life. If suffering was good enough for our Lord, we must expect suffering to be part of the Christian experience. And so we need to remember that every day there are Bible-believing Jesus-worshiping, Christ-following churches that close. This promise is really a promise to the whole church, the universal church, the global church. It doesn't mean that Christ guarantees the survival of every single local church. But it means no matter how many churches close, that there will always be faithful people knit together built upon this confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There will be no end to the work of God, and this should give us comfort as a local church. Because it doesn't matter if we triple in size or if we shrink to three people and decide to lock the doors. Either way, God will still be glorified. The work of God will continue here in Baxter and across the world. I heard this story once. There's a famous church revitalizer named Richard Blackaby. His father, Henry Blackaby, wrote a very famous book called Experiencing God. But his son, Richard, is a great church revitalizer. And he's with a bunch of rural pastors, pastors who pastor small churches and country towns and out on dirt roads. And he says, if a church is truly following Jesus, they won't die. Well, a number of these pastors get really offended because in their context, they're in churches where a lot of them can't afford to pay the light bills, yet alone a salary for the pastor. A lot of them have three to five people who are in their 80s, and they're kind of just waiting for the last few days to happen. And Blackaby realizes this, and he acknowledges that some of these churches should close. There is actually a time for a church to close. But Blackaby asked, what might have happened if your church was doing things more like Christ would have them do 10 years ago, 15 years ago? 
What would happen if you did things differently then? Now, I don't think we are anywhere close to where these churches are. I have been to churches in Mississippi where they have no pastor, they couldn't afford to keep the water on, they have three to five people in the congregation, and the town around them used to be big, but now it's all but disappeared. Like, there's not a community there, the church is barely holding on. And I do believe that some of these churches probably should close the door, and that giving their resources to other churches, that those Christians splitting up and joining other congregations can ultimately bring worship to Jesus and bring the most glory to God. But I don't think we are anywhere close to any of those situations. You see, we believe in a God of resurrection. We believe in a God who rose Jesus from the grave. And if God can raise Jesus from the grave, he can raise up this church. If Jesus can raise up Lazarus, he can build up this church here at Baxter Congregational. And so I believe God is doing this today. And I believe this because the Lord Jesus himself says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we can have confidence that the Lord Jesus will do it right here. We can have confidence that he is doing it right now because the Lord Jesus says that he will build up Baxter Congregation Church. So if I may be so bold, let me ask, where would you all like to see this church in 15 years? We're not at that place now, but what if those churches were following Jesus 10, 15 years ago? Where would you like us to be in 10 to 15 years? Do you just want to be able to rank out the last years of this community? Or do you want to see resurrection life in these walls? Do you want this church to just be a comfort to you throughout your daily lives? Or do you want this to be a place that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't think Christ is done here. I believe God is still working here at Baxter Congregation. And I believe that he will grow his church and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Because Jesus said so. Jesus said he will build his church. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is at work here at Baxter Congregation? Because I tell you this. In Jesus, the gates of hell cannot prevail. Because they are already destroyed in the resurrection. In Jesus, the church will see generations rise up because he rose from the grave and he reigns forever and ever and ever. In Jesus, this church can be a city on a hill, a light in the darkness. This church can see renewal take place in Baxter. This church, Baxter Congregational, can be a part of God's redemptive work both here in Baxter and across the world. The question is, are you willing to let him do it? Are you willing to let Jesus build up this church? Are you willing to submit to him as king and to worship him as the one true God? Are you willing to give up your rights, your preferences, the normality of what all this has been, if it is in the case of submitting to Jesus and worshiping Jesus? You see, it's not about me. It's not about the things I want to do or what I want to accomplish. It's not about Greg or Karen or anyone. It's not about any one of us in this room. 
and what we think this church should be. It's what Jesus thinks. The question we should be asking is what does Jesus command us in his word and what will bring him the most glory? You see, a church is only a church if it's built on the foundation of Jesus. And Jesus promises to build his church. And so, we shall last. We shall grow if we are built on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so everything we do needs to come down to that. Every decision we make, every event we put on, every way we serve, and every organization we might decide to give money to. Everything should come down to the question, will this bring worship to Jesus and submit to his will and reign? Should we start a sewing club here? Will it bring worship to Jesus and submit to his will and reign? Should we change the light? Will it bring worship to Jesus and submit to his will and reign? Should we throw another pancake supper? Will it bring worship to Jesus and submit to his will and reign? Should we join another denomination? Will it help us bring worship to Jesus and submit to his will and reign? What should we do if we need a new pastor or new hymnals or a new statement of faith? a new service project, or a new ministry to work on? Will it bring worship to Jesus, and will it submit to his will and his reign? If everything we do comes down to that, then Christ will build up his church. If everything we comes down to do, to worshiping Jesus as God, and submitting to Jesus as King, if that is our foundation, we can be certain that Christ will keep his promises to us. We can be certain that this verse is true, that Christ will build up this church and that the gates of hell will not overcome this church. We can be certain that we will grow and not die because this is what Christ promises to his church. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you sent your son who loved us and gave himself up for us. And that in his kindness, he established his church and gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us and keep us till we are with you in glory. So Lord, we pray work in this church. May we see renewal and revival in this church. May we see resurrection life in this church. Lord, we pray, may we build ourselves on that foundation. May we worship Jesus as God and submit to him as king, knowing that in that, the fullness of life is coming alive. And may we be a part of that testimony for years to come. Lord, work in this church and work in our hearts and minds to love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.